0: today is sunday october 30th 2022 do you suffer from gear acquisition syndrome i know i do
1: buckle your seatbelts and welcome to this edition of the electric guitar lives podcast with pete williams a fun and pithy celebration of the electric guitar guitarists related gear and industry news from a seasoned guitar pro Get your daily dose of all things guitar from an industry insider with over 20 years in the proverbial trenches. Be regaled with sordid tales of guitar and guitar news, amps, effects, artists, moodiers and the interesting people that make, make up, up this, this wacky, wacky machine. machine. So wind down with us as we cap each week off with a fresh out of the oven episode. Who knows what will happen? Maybe you'll laugh, maybe you'll cry. You might even learn something. Yeah, maybe you won't. But one thing's for sure, you'll be entertained. So hang with us for a bit. And thank you for joining us on the Electric Guitar, Electric Guitar Lives Guitar Podcast. Podcast. Now here's your host, Pete, Pete Williams. Williams.
0: Hello, hello. Hey, folks. How are we doing today? You having a good week? or you having a good day? Uh, it's currently Sunday. October 30th uh, some of you out there might be uh, getting ready for some Halloween festivities if you have kids or maybe you're going to a Halloween party uh, maybe you're not doing any of that and you're just playing the guitar and doing some practice hopefully you've practiced this week I know I have there's always time for practice you can spare 20 minutes out of your day I'm your host, Pete Williams, uh, and you are listening to the Electric Guitar Lives Podcast. In this week's episode, we talk about Yuli John Roth, the Scorpions, TC Electronic Mojo Mojo Overdrive Pedal, or Moho Moho, the, uh, you know, melodic guitar and what that means, the Sky Guitar, as played by Yuli John Roth, plus a whole lot more. I also continue the Dean Guitars saga circa two thousand two and pick up with the return of Mr. Dean Zelensky. We'll talk about what went on behind the scenes at Dean Guitars leading up to the return of Dimebag Daryl. Now here's a message from our sponsor, Making Music. Hey folks, did you know that making music is the number one dealer for custom Fender guitars in the world. That's a big deal. Making Music has been the original home of Tone since 1973 and for over 40 years we've been committed to meeting the needs of our customers. Actually, almost 50 years. Making Music offers a hand-picked selection of premium boutique and custom gear our Northfield, Illinois showroom is open and comfortable with private soundproof demonstration rooms for a pleasant shopping environment, while our website is regularly updated with an incredible array of custom electric guitars, tube amplifiers, and effects pedals. Knowledgeable and courteous sales professionals are always available to help make sure the gear you want is the best choice to suit your needs. Whether you're looking to pick up a new hobby push sonic boundaries, or simply to tweak your tone, making music is the place. We're going to jump right into the uh, news. First up is an article from MetalInjection.net. It's an article published a few days ago from Dan Oliva. Uh, Headline reads, and I quote, Apparently there are no more guitar gods, but it's not a bad thing. It's an old story that we've all heard before, but in case anyone needs reminding, rock and guitar centric music is not dead. But it has changed over the years, and one man who has seen this firsthand is Andy Moore, CEO of international guitar giant Fender Guitars. Moore, who was once to cry or excuse me, who once decried a Washington Post article proclaiming rock is dead as the original fake news recently spoke with fortune magazine and spoke about the instruments endless evolutionary process there's a quote at the dawn of the electric guitar a lot of the growth was from people who wanted to be guitar heroes or virtuoso players like jimmy page eric clapton or Jimi hendrix more told forbes there are heaps of virtuoso players but there are fewer guitar gods now. More people use guitars on stage, in the studio, and in other genres as compositional, creating textures. Honestly, I think he's absolutely right. And this is the article going on. In the 60s and 70s, fans indulged musicians in the type of idolatry encircling any kind of narrative regarding Page, Clapton, Hendrix, and others. But today's listener isn't into that kind of thing, and as easy as that is to type is as pure and easy as the answer itself. Starting in the 80s with punk rock, then the 90s with grunge, then throughout the 2000s during the new wave of American metal, the guitar was, by choice, by design, by inclination, whatever, decisively the anti-hero. It's what is cool now, just as hero worship was the thing in the 60s and 70s. Don't get me wrong, Page is my favorite guitarist of all time, and Hendrix is a close second. But what draws me to the guitar today is what guitarists like Tom Morello and Mike Morton bring to the instrument. Not to mention guys like Tobin Abbasi and Tim Henson, who are adding an entirely new dynamic to the instrument, and plenty of folks on YouTube are doing some truly mind-blowing stuff these days. But regardless of all that, there's plenty of factual That's a good article. Yeah, they were referencing in the article a while back, maybe two years ago or so, um, somebody had put out an article that said the electric guitar is dead. Um, And then they had a rebuttal article that they did a little while ago, or prior to that, um, that actually prompted me to want to uh, to create this podcast. The electric guitar is not dead. The electric guitar lives. You know, what they're not really kind of coming out and saying is that, uh, you know, people really aren't making bands anymore. Um, yeah, sure, you got a lot of guys uh, doing uh, acrobatics and high wire work. You know, I'm speaking metaphorically in the electric guitar world. Um, But really, are these guys saying anything? Are they making music? Are they selling their music? Are they going out there and performing live? Or are they just uh, home studio guys? I mean, COVID certainly um, jerked everyone into that direction. And um, with the amount of gear that's out there, you know, you can really set up a fairly sophisticated home studio for very little money uh, and record, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, It's amazing, really. But where's the next Jimi Hendrix? Where's the next Jimmy Page? Where's the next Eric Clapton? Where are these guys at? If you don't have bands making this music, and I mean true bands, then we're not going to get another Jimi Hendrix or a Jimmy Page or an Eric Clapton you know, or Michael Schenker, or Yuli John Roth, or an Yngwie, Paul Gilbert. And I feel that kind of leads into, um, well, just a little side story I'll bring up. So I remember, you know, growing up in the, um, you know, late 70s, early 80s, um, during that period, listen, every neighborhood had a kid that could play the drums. Usually every neighborhood had a kid that could play the drums really well. So if you picked up the electric guitar, it was easy to make friends. And, oh, yeah, man, Rob down the street, uh, he's got a full Tama drum kit, um, and he's really good. You know, he plays, like, uh, he plays like Mickey D from King Diamond. And if you didn't want to play with Rob, you could play with a different guy or make friends with other people and meet other drummers. But literally every neighborhood had somebody uh, at that time that could play the drums and usually most of them are really well uh, or play really well. Uh, I know in my neighborhood, we had some uh, some some really killer drummers, the guy Rob I mentioned, uh, he was a family friend growing up, and uh, man, I mean, he could play anything that you put out for him, uh, you know, whether it was Van Halen. Or, uh, you know, the, some of the stuff that Atma Onura or uh, Dean Castronovo used to do for, um, for shrapnel records. He would listen to that stuff. Or King Diamond records. You know, anything that had cool drums or good quality rock and drums to it, um, you know, he could can, he can nail it. So it was easy to find someone who had common uh, music interests and get together and start forming a band. Bass players were usually a little harder to come by, but you could find a lot of guitar players. I know in my neighborhood we had, um, or at least the town where I, you know, grew up, grew up in, grew up off and on in, we had a couple notable drummers, Curtis Beeson from Nasty Savage. If you've heard of them, um, Curtis is an amazing drummer. I remember seeing them on the club scene um, way back in the day. Uh, my brother was friends with a guy. They were childhood chums growing up. Greg Gall, who went on to play for Six Feet Under and a few other bands, he was an amazing drummer Um, and got to play on the, uh, you know, the international circuit in that band. So my point being is that, you know, growing up there was always a ton of drummers and I probably should mention too, I had a buddy of mine that was in this band called Animosity and, uh, uh, he he passed away, but uh, his name was John Dudenetz, and uh, John was my buddy, and we played, you know, together in a band with uh, uh, another friend of mine and a couple of other guys, and uh, that never materialized or went in anywhere, you know, outside of playing at the Brass Mug or playing at parties and this kind of thing, uh, but it was fun. It was a good time, and you know, uh, I had hoped that we could have uh, gone on and Um, done some stuff besides recording a basic demo Uh, but you know that's how that's 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 how things went Um, my point being is that you don't you know if I go walking around in a you know two three mile uh, perimeter around where I live now you don't hear anybody playing the drums anymore nobody's doing that you don't hear anybody playing the electric guitar it's just an observation in other news, Motley Crue officially announced John 5 as a new guitarist. In my personal opinion, I feel like that's a good fit. I think uh, Mick, uh, and I'm not going to mention his age here, his real age, but, uh, you know, when, when Motley Crue became big, when he hit it, he already had a pretty long career starting from the late 60s and the 70s. Um, you know, before Shout of the Devil. And uh, so he's been doing this a really long time, and um, frankly, I'm surprised that he uh, hasn't retired earlier, or he didn't retire earlier. Um, You know, it's kind of sad. Um, I'll certainly, um, you know, miss seeing him on the stage with those guys. Now this uh, next bit of news. Now it's not really news; it's just more of an observation. Even though Guitar World did put this article out there, I'll give you the headline: Amazon slashes the price of Fender guitars with a huge $452 off the Kurt Cobain Jagstang. Hint: Fender is overstock, guys. So pay attention closely for a good deal. I heard through the grapevine that, uh, you know, outside of my speculation in my previous podcast talking about why they uh, went into the layoffs, everyone out there was, oh, we're, you know, we're fenders laying off these people, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I heard through the grapevine that really it boiled down to them overstocking on a bunch of different guitars um, because of COVID, and they were thinking they were going to be able to move these items. And these items are not moving. I think where it's most evident is if you go to the front page of Reverb.com and take a look at those fenders that have been listed there, um, what seem like an eon now, obviously nobody's buying these guitars and they have a bunch of them to sell. So my recommendation to you, the listener, if you're in the market for one of these guitars that they've got out there, Um, pay close attention and see if you can uh, get yourself a deal on one. Um, you know, Fender isn't just limited to the Fender models. Fender owns a few other brands too. Pay close attention. You might be able to get a good deal. Watch Reverb. Um, watch Amazon. Watch eBay. Get a good deal. Get yourself a new guitar. Okay, and today's, um... Gear Spotlight we're going to be talking about the uh, TC Electronic Mojo Mojo Overdrive pedal. Uh, I'm going to quote the description off of Sweetwater as I feel they write the best copy so um, um, let me give you a little descriptions from their product research team. Uh, looking for classic tube amp style drive, the TC Electronic Mojo Mojo Overdrive pedal is your ticket to dynamic tube style bliss. From bluesy breakup to screaming solos and chunky crunch, the Mojo Mojo covers the spectrum of overdrive boost. Just like a real tube amp, the Mojo Mojo responds naturally to your gar- guitar's volume, allowing you to control the character of your drive by simply riding the volume knob. With all knobs set at their detended 12 o'clock positions the mojo mojo provides a perfectly transparent drive with a wholly natural breakup what's really cool about this overdrive is that you can tap into the full travel of each control to create excellent sounding and totally usable overdrive characteristics turning up or down the bass and treble knobs does more than affect the overdrive tone it affects the Mojo-Mojo's overall response to different frequencies. More importantly, adjusting the Mojo-Mojo's drive changes its threshold, rather than arbitrarily adding or removing distortion. This attention to detail is what sets the TC Electronic Mojo-Mojo apart from the majority of overdrive pedals out there. Some of the features at a glance. Natural tube-style overdrive. Fully dynamic response reacts to the volume, volume excuse me, of your guitar. Straightforward controls true bypass analog dry through circuitry. Now, I am an overdrive pedal junkie. I've gone through a gazillion permutations to try to find, uh, to my ears, the best sounding uh, overdriver. Or you know, that kind of balance between clean and drive without it being overboard. Um, I know with modern digital tools, it's hard to get that, you know, you're always going to get that little fizziness going on. However, they are getting better. Um, uh, but with the, uh, the Mojo Mojo, what turned me on to it, um, was watching a couple of uh, demo videos from who better from Paul Gilbert. Now, Paul has this on his pedal board. He's had it on there. He's even got his own variation of it that you can buy from TC, uh, which is really cool. Uh, But what's great about uh, Paul's use of it is that he's putting it into live, you know, a live scenario on his live board. Uh, Who better than to be a spokesman for this effects pedal than he? Um, Now, I'm going to include a couple links uh, so you can see Paul Gerber demo the Mojo Mojo. Uh, there's two of them. There's one where he was being interviewed in Japan. And I believe one where he's uh, partnered up with Sweetwater. I'm not sure TC directly uh, to talk about it. And I encourage you to, I'll put a link on the website uh, to read about it and uh, check those things out. At the end of the day, you know, you're as you're kind of shaping your sound and your tone, uh, you try to find tools that'll help you um, and not be a hindrance. And uh, I, I believe if you check this, uh, check these videos out and see how much he's Paul's able to get it to thicken his tone up, uh, whether it be for leads or chords or for rhythm. However, you see a use for it in your own personal playing. Uh, you really should check this thing out. Uh, So be sure to visit electricguitarlives.com. Look for the links on those two videos, and uh, that'll give you the um, give you the uh, short and sweet of it. Now here's a message from our sponsor, Making Music. Hey folks, we have a promo going on between now and Friday, December second. Our generous sponsor, Making Music is offering up not one, but two chances to win two Boutique Guitar effects pedals from One Control by Bjorn Jewell. All you have to do is subscribe to our email list and listen to the podcast between now and Friday, December 2nd, 2022, for the winning announcements. Two lucky listeners will get a chance to own A. Fluorescent Orange Overdrive and B. Baltic Blue Fuzz pedal from One Control Guitar Effects. To enter, please visit electricguitarlibs.com and click the One Control Guitar Effects Giveaway link. Real simple, guys. Just subscribe to the email list. Check out the uh, the demo videos and listen to the podcast. We're going to be announcing those winners, uh, some two of winners, basically, uh, sometime between now and December 2nd. So uh, be sure to tune in and listen to that and get a chance to. Uh, To own an amazing uh, boutique guitar effects pedal from One Control. So, in this segment, I'm going to uh, continue the Dean Guitar Saga, uh, roughly somewhere around 2002, 2001, 2002. And uh, I'm going to pick up with the return of Dean Zelensky, and we are going to talk about what went on behind the scenes leading up to the return of Dimebag Daryl. Now, in the previous episode, I talked about um, how I got my foot in the door in this industry uh, for Armadillo Enterprises. For those that don't know, that's Dean Guitars, Luna Guitars, and D-Drum. At that time, it was a smaller group of folks, a completely different group of folks, uh, led by uh, the late Elliot Rubinson of Thoroughbred Music fame. Uh, and Armadillo, Dean Guitars fame. Um, so I talked about a tectonic shift happening with the company uh, when Dean Zelensky came aboard. Behind the scenes, uh, most of the folks down at the company um, did not like Dean. For those of you who don't know who Dean Zelensky is... Um, He is the founder of Dean Guitars. It's his name that's on the headstock. Um, He started Dean Guitars up in 1976 as a young kid. After uh, being inspired and visiting the, um, I believe it was the original uh, Gibson location in Kalamazoo, Michigan. As I mentioned before, Uh, Dean Guitars, at that time under Armadillo Enterprises, um, Elliot was kind of getting his, not kind of, he was getting his foothold more into the retail end of things. So as they were talking with dealers across the United States and around the world for that matter, um, he could provide more value. And external forces, meaning the Dean fans, uh, and there's a lot of them, We're basically knocking on the door and saying, hey, what's going on? When are you going to bring Dean Zelensky back? You know, is after all, Dean Guitars. So as I'm plugging away on, you know, what would become this big marketing machine for Dean Guitars, um, I start getting phone calls from some of the folks down there who were not happy about working with him. Uh, As I said, it was very difficult for these folks um, to have external people third parties third parties being Dean Zelensky or myself uh tell them that you know maybe the way they're going about things isn't the right way of doing it so there was a lot of pushback so much pushback in fact Uh, there was a couple people that just called me and told me don't work with this guy if he calls you do not pick up the phone now these folks weren't telling me this because um you know, um, Dean had some kind of weird reputation or something, and that wasn't it at all. Um, They were calling me and telling me not to work with them because they were most likely scared about their jobs because what they were doing um, wasn't on the level of what we'd eventually wind up doing when Dean came back on board. Me being in an external, uh, you know, employee for them contractor okay but really employee for them at that time um i didn't know what to think of this because i didn't really know these people and i had been working with them now for a while and uh, it was a strange atmosphere uh elliot called me and said hey look I, you know once you come down i've got dean visiting the clearwater office once you meet him in person i'd like for him to work with you Um, about kind of repurposing some of the stuff that you've done uh, with this new website that's going to be going up. So I went down to uh, Dean headquarters in Clearwater and uh, met Dean. And, you know, frankly, he was he was a really nice guy. he was very cool. As one would expect in this industry, you know, there's a lot of egos, um, but you have to put it in the context of and I'm not saying here that Dean Zelensky is an egomaniac or anything like that. But you have to look at it from the context or from the angle of, look what this guy was able to do at a very young age and, and um, you know, shot heard around the world uh, back in the day with, with when he launched his brand and um, some of the, you know, clever advertising and marketing that he put into place in the guitar industry was fresh and it was different and unique for unique to Dean for sure. You know, I think back to that time, and I think uh, the Legs video from ZZ Top, I mean, it doesn't get any more iconic than that. It doesn't get more rock and roll than that. So as I was saying, there, there was a lot of pushback from some of the folks there, and um, um, so it was a little bumpy at first. Once Dean and I started uh, talking and communicating on, you know, kind of what his vision was for... For the website and his kind of approach to marketing um things kind of came together and I, I i would go as far as to say they came together quickly um, there were some personnel changes down in armadillo shortly afterwards um, because things were coming together so quickly so there was this convergence okay the convergence being uh here's a, a gentleman uh, Elliot. Uh, with his retail background. You know, I told you about um, Thoroughbred Music and Sam Ash and all that stuff. Okay. Um, and then you've got Dean who's coming from the uh, the more of the USA guitar angle. Um, and he's got, you know, he's bringing his experience there in marketing and his style. Now, neither of these guys would probably admit to it, I mean, Elliot Candy's passed away, but uh, you know, I always felt just from from an outside perspective that the two of them made a wonderful team. Uh, Elliot, at that time, was more of a background guy. Um, you know, you, uh, he was a businessman, uh, always on the phone, willing and dealing, talk with people, whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, running a business. And uh, Dean was more of a face man. He was a great face man, uh, spokesman for the company. Obviously, again, his name's on the headstock, right? So after a few personnel changes, um, suddenly, you know, there was a real energy in the air. At this point, we had gone through a different iteration of the website at the time. And at that time at least the competition, there weren't a lot of um, competitors out there who were taking the approach that we were taking with DeanGuitars.com. And that approach was, and this came from Dean, was, you know, we need to turn this, and this is his direction to me, we need to turn this thing into um, something that seems happening. There's got to be some buzz. We need to start creating some energy. Um, some sizzle. Okay. And um, at that time, I had done this like flash piece where you could mouse over our guitars and get into the different sections. And it was very product centric, but there was no news or anything like that. Um, you know, hey, what's going on? You know, what's happening in, in, in the Dean guitars world? So uh, Dean immediately zeroed in on that. And uh, so the homepage went from being product centric. Uh, with a few bells and whistles, uh, to being more news-focused, so that something that was happening at the company was being put out there immediately. And uh, that was kind of the initial building blocks for what would go on to be uh, the marketing machine that would drive uh, that company more later. And I'm not going to go down a side road on this, but, you know, of course, it winded up becoming so successful that our competitors obviously were taking notice because these guys were copying my stuff, straight up copying it from the design style uh, to the marketing lingo to the way that I did graphics, um, even to the marketing approach that we were doing at the time that nobody else was really doing. Uh, meaning it was kind of a full circle of 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 marketing, you know, um, across the board from the print advertising, which was effective at that time, um, to the website and all the whiz-bang stuff that you could do with the web at that time. We were probably one of the first ones to really take advantage of uh, doing e-letters. Our newsletters at the time were really impactful. And frequent and religious and you know like anything in this industry it's you know like a slow drip on a rock or a stone you know the, uh, out in the wilderness somewhere you know eventually that slow drip burrows its way all the way through the rock you know just being habitual and religious about putting this stuff up coming up with a plan and executing it um, Dean and I just happen to uh, execute it extremely well now Dean and I can't take credit for that solely. You know, Elliot put the whole thing together, but the thing that I do want to bring up was there was in this incredible, um, grassroots fan base that existed for Dean Guitars and for Dean Zelensky a group of guys out there would eventually became, become known as the Dean owners of America. Now, of course, yeah, that, that's a story for a different podcast for later. I just wanted to give you some of the touch points of, you know, what was happening at that time. So as we were getting the marketing machine rolling, um, in the background there somewhere um, under the hood, And I'm sure this came from Elliot and from some of the people that he was working with down at their location. Um, I'm sure there were talks to bring back Dimebag Daryl. Now, in retrospect, one could say that was the plan all along. These are just steps to get to that point to, you know, get this amazing artist um, back at Dean Guitars, uh, especially now under new leadership. Now I'm going to take a slight departure. Um, Dimebag, you know I knew who he was. Had uh, a friend of mine that that uh, got into them, just as I was changing my musical taste. Um, after I had gotten out of high school, I, I stopped listening to the heavy stuff and I started getting more into progressive stuff. After going to see a a Metallica concert, uh, it was the Injustice for All tour. And uh, Queensryche was opening up with Operation Mindcrime. After I saw that, my eyes opened because I thought, oh, wow, you can do, you know, more melodic things and have more progressive uh, sounds versus just your, you know, your and kind of music out there. You know, your, your gent, as the kids call it today. You know, there's more sophistication that you, you can add to these songs and, um, and a different kind of musicality. Um, so I just wasn't into that, you know, super heavy metal music at that time. Um, although I respected and acknowledged, uh, you know, how good he was. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I didn't realize just how big this guy was. That was until I went to uh, my first NAM show. Um, while I was at that NAM show, and that first one was really good. And I was helping, I was doing support stuff for... Um, for Armadillo Enterprises, but really, why I was out there is I wanted to see what, how you know what was going down. I was also trying to drum up other business in this industry outside of Armadillo. Um, there was a couple. There was three key people that particular year. I think uh, Carlos Santana, PRS was doing a thing with them, and Santana was there. That was uh, that was cool. Eddie Van Halen happened to show up, and he was doing his thing. Of course, there was a mob there, but. Hands down, the biggest crowd there was there to see one guy, and that was Dimebag. And he was there um, uh, signing autographs. I forgot exactly who for at the time. Uh, And I believe that was his last name show that he went to. Um, But I I did stop and take notes and go, man, who are these people in line to see? Because I was thinking, oh, I wonder if Eddie Van Halen's here. That, That must be it. And it wasn't. It was to see Dime. Um, you know, there was uh, the line was wrapped around the, um, you know, that particular grid at the at the trade show, and you know it just went on and on and on. I because I wanted to get in line, I thought, oh, okay, well maybe I'll get an autograph. You know, um, uh, at that point, I I had to give this guy props and respect because I realized, like, oh, I see. So at the end of the '90s, when grunge came along and basically killed off hair metal and and some of the other heavy metal stuff, um, despite you know that happening in the music scene in the 90s, uh, Pantera kept touring and kept doing their thing, regardless of what was popular, and he was out there on a grassroots level, building up this huge fan base. Um, this guy was huge in the guitar world. Didn't realize how huge he would be, and I didn't have the insight Um, to think about what it was that Armadillo wanted to do um, with him. And that leads me to my next point in this story. So, you know, think about it this way. There was, um, you know, we have Elliot, you know, the super businessman, you know, uh, Mr. Cool handling all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, putting and orchestrating all the stuff, putting it back together. We get Dean Zelensky back. We've got the the technology on the web end of things, and and um, some of the marketing that was done at that time that's commonplace now that a lot of people weren't doing then. All these things converged. A lot of buzz is being created. I would even go as far as to say that uh, uh, Dean and I and Elliot single-handedly put the spotlight back on heavy metal um, because that's where the emphasis was uh, you know I was just using my background on like oh what I thought was cool growing up and the guys I listened to and um, you know Dean was using his style and his savvy he was you know like I said a very good marketer an excellent marketer um, and of course you know the retail background with Elliot everything was hop and we were really creating some buzz there were artists galore jumping ship to come over to Armadillo Enterprises. Um, and then I remember getting the call that that uh, Dimebag was going to be coming back. And I thought, okay, cool. Now, again, with that story I told you before, you know, I didn't realize how big Dime was. I realized he had a fan base. And me with the horse planters on at that time, I didn't, I didn't really think too much of it. I thought, okay, well, this will be cool, you know. I didn't realize how big this would actually be. Uh, So Dime, you know, he he comes back in the organization. We do a big launch for him. Um, I remember I had done this kind of flash video where it looked like a saw was cutting Dime out of uh, the background of the web page. And I had used some JavaScript um, to uh, make the browser bounce around on the screen and sync with the music. It was pretty cool. Um, we definitely got some traction on that and um, created a lot of buzz and got people excited. It wasn't uh, shortly after that, um, we are really getting a lot of people that were coming over. You know, next thing you know, we're getting this artist and that artist and um, a lot of guitar legends and, um, and things were just hopping. Hopping so much, in fact, that everyone was so busy uh, that things just rolled along at a nice steady clip. It was fantastic. Now for Armadillo Enterprises, you know the the, the growth in that short amount of time was exponential. Uh, I told you before in the last podcast and in on this one, um, you know they started off in this kind of smallish little warehouse over by an airport in Clearwater. Uh, Elliot went ahead and purchased for I believe it was six and a half million dollars. This giant warehouse that you could park like six airplanes in um, over in Tampa, and so the company moved over there. And all this stuff was kind of happening at the same time. This growth—it was an explosion, um, you know—and uh, that explosion was you know the convergence of all of these different things happening at the exactly the same time. I should note that um, during this explosion of growth. Uh, that Elliot had the foresight to say, you know, he understands cycles, right? Because in any retail um, industry, regardless of, um, you know, whatever it is that you're selling, you know, things are cyclical, you know, they, they're cycles. Uh, there's a time for extreme growth. Uh, there's a time when things are just kind of moving along. Uh, there's a time for loss, Okay. Um, at this time it was extreme growth. So Elliot had the foresight to say, okay, um, I know some artistic types because, you know, people out there obviously noticed this growth and they wanted to be a part of it and come in and, you know, get a piece of the action, so to speak. Um, one of those was, um, uh, uh, Yvonne from Luna Guitars and she was uh, an artist and, um, her and Elliot had talked. And, um, you know, he calls me out of the blue and says, Hey, I know this gal and she's kind of this hippie chick. I want you to meet with her and work with her closely to help build this new brand called Luna guitars. And, um, so we did. And at the same time that that was happening, he wanted to get a drum thing going too. um, at that time, I believe Armadillo had the distribution rights for Nord synthesizers, uh, so we were the Nord USA division, and so we created this whole uh, presence for that as well, um, along with D Drum. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, you know D Drum um, was a division, I believe, of Clavia at one time, and originally started off as electronics brand uh, drum triggers and things of that nature. Um, I believe Elliot wanted to. Piggyback off the success of Dean Guitars um, by creating this more, you know, kind of female-centric brand uh, with Luna and create more of a rock and roll brand with D-Drum uh, by introducing acoustic guitars and things of that nature. So he started getting all these people into place uh, to put that stuff together. So what I mean by convergence, you know, there was a lot of different forces and a lot of different people um, and all coming together um, that gave Armadillo that that huge growth at the time. Uh, I was lucky enough to be a part of it, um, and this leads me into the uh, the next portion of this segment where, you know, I'll, I'll stop talking about it till next episode. And uh, this is me getting a phone call from Dean Zielinski after things are rolling along uh, that somebody had um, had shot Diamondback Daryl. Um, you know, obviously very tragic thing to happen. Um, and, um, I know for, for Dean, it really, really hurt the guy cause he was friends with, you know, friends with them. And, um, you know, he was there and, uh, at the guitar contest where, where Dime wanted Dean. I mean, you know, that uh, it, it really, you know, it hurt the guy, obviously he was, he was pretty broke up by it. Um the attitude and the force this kind of vacuum was created at that time at armadillo enterprises the moment that that happened Um, but i'm not going to get into that in this episode we're going to talk about that in the next episode Classical playing, Cream Fender Stratocaster, I wonder where Yngwie got, oh, hey guys, I'm back. That incredible live playing uh, was from, uh, I believe it's from the song Earthquake, um, off the Electric Sun album. This is from uh, Yuli Roth, Yuli John Roth, who is our spotlight artist today. The article that I'm quoting is from YuliJohnRoth.com, which I encourage you to check out. I've been a big Yuli fan. There was a uh, buddy of my brother's a long time ago uh, by the name of Dave Austin. Some of you may know him as being one of the cornerstone guitarists for the heavy metal band Nasty Savage. One of Dave's favorite guitar players was Yuli Roth, and he turned that on to my brother, who in turn turned Yuli onto me. Um, and I think the thing when I listened to him the first time, you know, or he's got some, uh, he's got very unique vocals. But if you uh, put that uh, aside and look at the stuff that he was doing compositionally, and also. His incredible playing and the emotion and his vibrato and note choices—just um, an amazing guitar player. And I don't think there's a lot of people out there that give him as much credit as he deserves. Uh, there are a few cats out there who um, who um, who definitely appreciated him, uh, you know, at that time because he was being talked about. Uh, this article is from YuliJohnRoth.com, um, and uh, I'm quoting um, his bio off his website here. You can go on to read that yourself if you like, but I thought I'd read some of it. The musical career of Yuli spans an amazing five decades. As an artist, Yuli is a multifaceted phenomenon whose unique set of artistic talents has gained him an international reputation as a musical visionary and innovator. Uli John Roth was born in Dusseldorf, Germany on December 18th, 1954. He often cites his father, Carl Joseph Roth, as a role model, an all-around artist who made his living as a well-respected journalist. Early on, his father instilled in him a love and knowledge of the visual arts, including painting and photography, as well as writing poetry, storytelling, and novels. Uli discovered his love for the electric guitar in 1968 and played his first concert later that same year at the age of 13 as a lead guitarist for the band Blue Infinity. His early influences were the Beatles, Cream with Eric Clapton, and Jimi Hendrix. In the following years, while still in high school, Yuli played in a number of bands in Hanover, including Don Road, while also studying classical guitar as well as the piano. His influences at the time were Andres Segovia and Julian Breen, but also flamenco guitarists like Meninos de Plata and the great violinist Yehudi Menuhin. In the year 1973, Yuli's friend, Michael Schenker, who some of you may know, quit the already-established band Scorpions to join UFO in England. This led to the breakup of the Scorpions, which his brother Rudolf Schenker had formed in the 60s. But before leaving the band, Michael asked Uli to take his place instead. Later that year, the two remaining members of Scorpions, Rudolf Schenker and Klaus Mein, joined forces with the four members of Don Road in the summer of 1973 soon afterwards the new scorpions played their first gig which happened to be a two-song live appearance on one of the two main german television channels this led to a five-year record contract with one of the major international record companies at the time rca during his five-year tenure as a member of journey's journey (laughs) freudian slept there is a member of germany's number one rock band Yuli built the foundation for his status of guitar legend. He quickly established himself as one of the main songwriters in the band and soon gained an international reputation as one of the most important innovators of the electric guitar. The Scorpions were playing a lot of live shows each year, beginning first in Germany, but from 1975 onwards also increasingly abroad. The experience of constantly playing live and touring was to prove invaluable in order to develop their style and sound and to own their live skills as a performing band, as well as being able to learn how to interact with various audiences abroad. The success of the band grew exponentially with each year, and the band developed a strong following, particularly in countries like Belgium, France, and England but also, especially in Japan, where they also achieved their first-ever gold album, Virgin Killer, in 1976. Yuli recorded five albums with the Scorpions, one for each year of, of his tenure. Each one of these was to achieve iconic status in the history of rock music. The band recorded altogether four studio albums and one live album during their five-year period. These were, in chronological order, Flight of the Rainbow in 1974... In Trance in 1975, Virgin Killer in 1976, and Taken by Force in 1977. <laughs> I like the theme <laughs> The theme here. Yuli's farewell album from that period was to mark the end of the early Scorpions era. It was a live album recorded in Japan in 1978, Tokyo Tapes. It is generally recognized as one of the great live albums in the history of rock, music, and has influenced scores of younger musicians. In the spring of 1976, Uli met the German artist, Monica Donemann in London, and, the, and soon the two became romantically involved. Monica greatly helped Uli towards a kind of spiritual awakening and became like a muse and force of inspiration for him. Notwithstanding his friendship with the other members, Uli felt increasingly stifled by the confinements of mainstream rock music during his final year with the Scorpions. His main ambition and driving force was a desire to become a better artist and all-around musician, with the freedom to explore the realm of music in his own rather unconventional way and on his own terms, an approach which was not exactly mainstream. It was obvious to Uli that the songs he wanted to write at the time would not fit into the framework of the Scorpions' style, and therefore, in the spring of 1977, Uli felt he had to leave the Scorpions in order to forge ahead into the unknown on his own. After having completed the recordings for Taken by Force, Uli handed in his resignation, and although his heart wasn't in it any longer, He still stayed on for another year because of the loyalty he felt towards his friends in the band. Eventually, before the first tour of Japan in April of 78, Yuli made it clear to the band that this was to be his final tour as their lead guitar player. After the summer, Yuli founded the band Electric Sun. Initially designed as a three-piece outfit and through tradition, excuse me, in the tradition of Cream and Jimi Hendrix. From the beginning, Uli intended to enlarge the band at a later stage, but wanted to start from a very different, almost minimalistic vantage point by stripping down everything to bare essentials. The three-piece format brought with it increased responsibilities on stage, but also gave him greater artistic freedom at the same time. From the album, from, excuse me, from the first album onwards, "Earthquake," recorded in the iconic Olympic Studios in London in the winter of 1978, Uli created a u- unique and unmistakable style for Electric Sun, which progressed to mature during the course of two further studio albums and various tours. The front and back covers of "Earthquake" were graced by original artwork by Monica Donnaman. Now the excerpt that you heard uh, prior to this segment was, uh, f- like as, as I said, uh, from the song "Earthquake" off of um, that record, titled "Earthquake." Uh, this next tune, and this is the one that where I became a Yulee fan, um, is off of a song called "Electric Sun." That's a, a great solo over a great song. Um, the article continues, This first album, Earthquake, initially received a somewhat mixed reaction after it's released in the spring of 1979. Many people had expected Yuli going solo would result in an album along the lines of Virgin Killer, times 10. This was far from Uli's intentions, however, and some hard rock fans were disappointed to hear an album which was anything but Virgin Killer. On the contrary, Earthquake was unlike any other album on the market. Although there was unmistakable Hendrix, even Dylan-esque influences in many of the songs, there were also distinctly classical leanings. This was particularly apparent in the title track, Earthquake, a 10-minute instrumental epic which presented a totally novel approach to guitar playing. After the initial somewhat muted reception, however, Earthquake came eventually to be regarded by many as an influential masterpiece, and the new guitar techniques introduced on the album on songs like Still So Many Lives Away, Burning Wheels Turning, and Earthquake itself were widely copied by younger guitarists, and served as a blueprint for a novel neoclassical guitar technique. Now again, you can visit yulijohnroth.com and uh, read the rest of uh, his biography, which is really extensive. You know, the man has had a um, quite the run so far, and he's still touring around. So if you get a chance to check out Yuli in your local area, you know, please do. I think one of the biggest things I wanted to bring up here, and I talked about this in my last podcast, um, you know, every guitar hero that you listen to, whether it's a current guy or, or someone from the past, had their list of influences. And sometimes these guys will point out who their influences are, and sometimes they won't. It's very obvious that Yngwie Malmsteen was influenced by Uli. Um, you know, from the arpeggios that he would play to the um, style of neoclassical guitar lines that he's doing in some of those songs. Uh, you can listen to that stuff. You, you speed it up to, you know, from 32nd notes to 64th notes, uh, it sounds like you're listening to Yngwie. So obviously, Yuli uh, made a very huge impact on him and, and many other artists. He's just being kind in his article here. Um, if he influenced those guys and they went on to have great careers, awesome. Uh, I also am a uh, huge Yngwie fan. In fact, probably more than anybody that I've listened to, Ingve's always been, a, um, you know, I've always enjoyed his music and his showmanship and his guitar playing and his entire career. And that's who we're going to get into on the next episode of the Electric Guitar Lives podcast. Hey, listen, before I sign off here, though, I I did want to point out that at one time, um, uh, Uli did team up with Dean Guitars. He became friends with the late Elliot Rubinson. Elliot winded up playing bass for Uli, and uh, they toured around, which is really awesome. Uh, Dean Guitars actually, uh, in their USA division, uh, did a version of the Sky Guitar. Uh, Even at... um, Uh, The company's cost, it was still very expensive, so I never acquired one. Um, But uh, it's definitely up there as uh, as one of those holy grail guitars. Uh, I believe Yuli has somebody new that he's working with. Uh, If you're looking to uh, purchase that guitar, I always thought of it as like the ultimate virtuoso guitar. I never got to put my hands on one. Um, But that is an interesting bit of trivia. Uh, unfortunately, after uh, Elliot's passing, um, they did not. Uh, there was, I wouldn't say there was a falling out, um, but you know, with Elliot no longer around, and that, you know, Elliot being Eulie's friend, uh, he decided uh, that you know working with Armadillo Enterprises wasn't in the cards for him anymore. As a fan of Yuli, I, you know, encourage you to go, uh, you know, on your streaming service or whatever, um, you know, give his stuff a listen and uh, also maybe refresh uh, some of the people that he influenced, give those guys a listen, then go back and give Yuli a listen. Obviously, Yuli will tell you straight up who he was influenced by, uh, but he certainly carved out his own sound uh, with his influences, you know, like he took from Hendrix and said, oh, well, what if we you know, did something more along the classical tip, but uh, maybe try to use some of that more fluid phrasing that Hendrix did, uh, but in a neoclassical format. Stuff like that, you know. Uh, But one thing for sure, man, he he can really strangle the notes, you know. His vibrato is just beautiful. And uh, it's a real joy to listen to him and his music. And so if you've got some time, if you're a headphones jockey like I am you know, pop in one of his tracks, pop in that Earthquake album, and give it a full listen, man. You might, you might dig it. I do. So hey, that's it for today, folks. Um, <clears throat> I hope you have a, a great week. I appreciate you so much for tuning in. I know a lot of you um, are starting to uh, sign up for the uh, the pedal giveaway. If you haven't, be sure to do that. Uh, we're going to be making an announcement on the on the winners. There's going to be two winners, okay? Um, so we'll we'll do that at intervals over the course of next month. Uh, so be sure to tune in. If you haven't signed up for, it, be sure to sign up for that. Please be sure to visit our generous sponsor, Making Music at makingmusic.com. That was M-A-K-E-N Music.com. Um, and uh, and again, thank you for, for hanging with me today I really appreciate it I hope you have a great week uh, Keep on jamming And uh, be, sure to, be sure to have fun Okay, take care
1: Thanks for listening to the Electric Guitar Lives Podcast With P. Williams Your weekly hang for all things guitar-related and more Be sure to tune in next week for another exciting episode And remember, have fun See you next time For more about this podcast and future episodes, be sure to visit electricguitarlives.com. Thanks again for listening.